0: Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19. And please stand to read God's Word. We're looking today at the stunning effects of self-righteousness. We're going to read Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher... What good thing must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word once again, Lord, that we can come together and read it together and think about it together and in your presence offer ourselves to you and ask that you would have your way with us and ask, Lord, that that you would be central in our minds and that, that you would be honored in our hearts and that our lives would truly be an exhibit to the value of knowing you. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The stunning effects of self righteousness. There's a lot of things that could stun you. My dad once cut through a power line in the backyard with a tree trimmer. I saw the flash from the other side of the house. Praise God, he was only stunned, he was not killed. I once got shocked because I didn't turn the electricity off while installing a ceiling fan. It obviously didn't kill me, but I knew that I had been in contact with something much more powerful than me. Now, the effects of self-righteousness are like that. They are stunning. They are a jolt. They are, they are dangerous. Now, hopefully, today, we can learn a lesson from the rich young ruler now the story found in matthew chapter 19 and it proves something to us and it it really proves something to us that that we know we just sometimes don't think about very often what it proves to us is that that our non-god gods will ruin us and they will rob us of true riches that false gods idols Icons, objects of desire, whatever you want to call them, are really cruel tyrants. They're, they're demanding more and more after promising what they can never deliver. Now what we see in this passage is a, a Q&A time with Jesus, and it exposes several truths regarding self-righteousness and salvation. So let's start at verse 16. Verse 16, a man comes up to Jesus. We know him as the rich young ruler. We know that because Matthew and Mark and Luke all say he was rich. Matthew calls him a young man, which would have put him between 25 and 40 years of age. And we read that he owned much property. Luke calls him a ruler. Probably a Jewish rabbi in training or independent contractor within the flexible Roman system whatever the case he was he was a ruler he was rich and he was young now this is an interesting thing because he asked jesus a question what good deed must i do to have eternal life we've come 19 chapters through matthew's gospel and this is the first time we hear these words that that we are so familiar with eternal life eternal life which speaks by the way of quality more than quantity Yes, it is forever, but his life in God's presence, experiencing God's blessing. He wants eternal life. Now, this is one of the only times in Scripture that someone actually asks about it. And the question is, what good thing must I do to get it, to inherit it? this eternal life. What must I do to be approved by God? What must I do to be promised entrance into the kingdom someday? it sounds a little bit like the philippian jailer in acts chapter 16 Uh, what must i do to be saved what we learn as we go through this passage is that self-righteousness really blinds you to your true condition the stunning effects of self-righteousness are are that it fogs your soul and it deceives you kind of like a mirage there's no water there there's nothing there you think there is It messes you up so much that you can't think straight spiritually you you're religiously disoriented it's almost like you have vertigo of the soul you're dizzy see self-righteousness works against being poor in spirit works against that humble childlike faith that jesus says characterizes those who belong to him So the man comes with a question and Jesus responds with a question. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. He's telling him God's good. God's the only one who is good. I think back to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Here he is asking God to show him his glory. And God's answer... I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Only God is good. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12, we read that there is none who does good, no, not one. Uh, Humans are not good by nature. Only God is good by nature. So Jesus is saying, why are you asking me about what is good? He's asserting his, his deity here. Why Jesus said there is only one that can be called good, it's God, because God is good in his essential nature. We're not. And then Jesus gives an answer to his original question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. Sounds kind of crazy to us. Because how many times if someone says to us, well, I know how to get to heaven just keep the ten commandments we say no 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 you need to believe the gospel so is jesus kind of mixing it up here and saying hey really to get to heaven you just need to keep the commandments what's going on now jesus I, i think we know enough about how jesus deals with people to know that jesus isn't isn't saying that you can be saved by keeping the ten commandments But what I think he is doing, it's it's almost like the little cat and mouse game. Jesus is toying with the guy. He's trying to lead him to a place where hopefully he will recognize his true condition because his self-righteousness is blinding him to his true condition. Jesus isn't saying you can be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. He's leading the guy to to a hopeful acknowledgement of his own lostness, the reality of his sin before God of his own inability to save himself. See, he wants to know what he can do. Well, he's coming to the table in charge. Sure, he comes to Jesus, and he, he, Luke says he, he, he bows down before him, kneels down before him. And sure, he's coming somewhat humbly, but he's got an agenda. And he wants Jesus to meet that agenda. Just tell me what I need to do. And Jesus is leading him to the reality of his own lostness, much like the law, as Galatians tells us, is a tutor to show us our inability to get ourselves to God. So Jesus says, keep the commandments. In verse 18, he, the man comes back with a question. This is, by the way, the third question in this passage already. First he asks, what good thing do I need to do? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? So good is a key word here. And then he asked the question in verse 18, okay, commands, okay, which ones? You know, it's almost like, what's the minimum daily requirement I can get away with and and get into heaven? Which ones? Certainly not all of them. Which commands? It's, It's almost like he wants a smorgasbord, a buffet, a pick and choose your own righteousness. But maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe he's asking which ones? Because the religious leaders of those days had added so many non biblical ideas and regulations and rules to God's law. So he's saying, okay, wait a minute. We've got thousands here. Which ones? Remember, he came with the question, what good thing? Give me the one thing, the secret that I can just do and be saved. And Jesus gives him a plural, keep the commandments. And he's like, okay, which ones? So Jesus answers and gives him commandments number six, seven, eight, nine, and five. It's a straight flush, I believe. Plus the second half of the great command you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that Jesus didn't just start off by saying, You shall have no other gods before me. He didn't, he didn't say that, that that was true for this man but he didn't say that he said well well you know what don't murder and don't commit adultery the guy's like okay check I haven't killed anybody I haven't I haven't had an affair okay and, and then don't steal well I haven't stolen anything the guy says and then Jesus says don't bear false witness he says I had never done that in my whole life and then he says, Honor your father and your mother. And he's thinking, I'm looking good here. He's, he's going, I'm in. But he still hasn't told me which one I really needed to do because, see, he came to Jesus knowing he wasn't in. He's saying, which, What good thing can I do to get in? And Jesus says, Well, you, can love, you should love your neighbor as yourself. But the guy's thinking to himself, I've done all that. I'm a good boy. See, verse 20, he says, All these things I've kept. I've done it all. Everything you named, I'm, I'm in. Blurts out an impulsive reply. So was it an arrogant reply or an honest reply? Or could it be Both. it seems that this man thought he could observe the law without heart change remember that self-righteousness that dulls dulls your senses to the true condition almost like a sedative almost like a painkiller numbs you this man's question shows how far he was from the the humble childlike faith that Jesus says he needed to have see self-righteousness blinds you to your true condition this guy comes back and says look I've done it all I've done it all there's another thing we see and it's that you can't come to Christ with an armload of good deeds the Bible tells us that our good deeds are like filthy rags you want to walk around with a bunch of filthy smelly, greasy gross rags bring them to Jesus, look at what what I've done supposed to come more like a bankrupt beggar i didn't say a bank robber bankrupt beggar ephesians chapter 2 tells us for by grace you are saved through faith not not of yourselves it is a gift of god not as a result of works so that no one can boast you can't come to christ with an armload of good deeds and say look you've got to accept me Was it that bad that he said, hey, I've done all those things? Well, Paul kind of said that too. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul Paul came across that way in an honest way. He was writing this as a born-again Christian, as someone who'd been born again by the grace of God, and he's recounting his former life. He's warning the Philippian believers to watch out for those who, who would hold them captive. And he says, you need to watch out for those who, who put their confidence in the flesh. And you ought not to put any confidence in the flesh. And then he said, and, and by the way, if anyone has any reason to put confidence in the flesh, I would be the one. Verse, verse 5 of Philippians 3, I was circumcised on the eighth day, check, of the people of Israel, check of the tribe of Benjamin check a Hebrew of Hebrews check check as to the law a Pharisee wow as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law blameless Paul said hey I kept it all because see you could you could keep the outward observance without an inwardly transformed heart we know all about that It's interesting what Paul says next. Whatever gain I had, verse 7, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, refuse, All the things in his trophy case were like trash to him. Trash decays. Trash is putrid. Trash smells. The trash man didn't come to our house on Friday. My whole block was smelling. Jesus is answering this guy and pointing him, kind of painting him into a corner is what he's doing. Kind of boxing him in so his true condition could be revealed. See, the question comes from this young man, what am I still lacking? I've done it all. What is it? I think he was probably starting to realize that Jesus had his number and he was driving him to the place he couldn't get out of. But he thinks there's something he can do more than keeping the law. Do you notice? I've done all these things. What else do I lack? He thinks there is something more than the law keeping that he can do. Some extra credit assignment from Jesus that he could do. That could assure him of a place with God. He was not outside the norm in amongst his contemporaries there were many Jews who who believed that one specific act of goodness could get you into heaven could win them eternal life but it was going to be a guessing game of sorts it was a gamble that you really don't want to take with your soul you have to figure out what that one thing is but it seems like he figured he could sell Jesus on the idea of giving him a hint what do I lack? It's interesting that Jesus had already said that God is the only one who is good God is the only determiner of what is good but by approaching Jesus like this he shows he really doesn't want God's will and he really doesn't understand God's absolute goodness he's so fixated on himself what can I do what then do I lack I've done it all Just tell me, and I will do it. You know, we all know people who always come with the agenda. They come with a smile, but once they find out you're not going to give them what they want, the attitude changes. But Jesus keeps going with him. Verse 21. Jesus said, if you would be perfect. I think he's he's now drawing him in, reeling him in a little bit. If you would be perfect here's what you need to do so the guy's probably thinking ah, finally he's getting to the point so here's what he says sell everything have a garage sale and give to the poor and come follow me very familiar sounding come follow me Jesus here is calling for undivided loyalty he is calling for wholehearted devotion wholehearted obedience but we got a problem verse 22 when the young man heard this he went away grieved sorrowful because he had great possessions he was really rich had a lot of things and he couldn't part with them because of his possessions his heart was divided they were it was competing with God and it it won and Jesus was asking for total radical discipleship here and the man was unwilling to yield He went away grieved because he owned a lot of property and he did not want to part with it. It was of utmost importance to him. It was his identity. He was too rich to follow. He had too much baggage. You can't come to Christ with an armload of good deeds. You've got to come to Christ with empty hands. Much like that song that just says, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for for dress. Helpless come to thee for grace. Grace foul eye to the fountain fly wash me savior or I die this was not him this was not the rich young ruler he couldn't carry his heavy load of goodies even though Jesus asked him to let them go if he wanted to get eternal life that was his question right right that's what he wanted You see, what we see here is that sincerity alone won't cut it. Sincerity alone won't cut it. You've got to repent and believe the gospel. Now, he may have seemed sincere. He's calling Jesus by respectful names. He's treating Jesus respectfully. I mean, I don't dislike the rich young ruler. You shouldn't hate on the rich young ruler. I mean, I pity him. We should pity him. I think he was genuinely seeking eternal life. That's a commendable thing. He felt the need for hope and assurance. He had a felt need. Think of the scene for a moment. Jesus had just blessed these children. All these parents are milling around. Maybe some of the parents that got turned away have come back with their kids. And this rich young man who was a ruler who would have been known by the crowd wasn't afraid wasn't ashamed to fall down before Jesus and ask him a question he wasn't afraid to put himself on the line unembarrassed but he refused to follow Christ Jesus would not let him in on a free pass Wouldn't let him in on his own righteousness. Sincerity alone won't cut it. That's why it's a slippery slope just trying to meet people's felt needs. You've also got to preach the gospel to them and ask for a response. Jesus is now going to change focus a little bit and turn to his disciples. It's really interesting. I'm the guy's gone and then Jesus initiates something to his disciples they don't come asking him a question this time he starts this one off he says I tell you the truth truly I say to you that means listen up this is big the statement to come is of extreme importance and he says, it is only with difficulty that, a, that the rich enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying here? Is he saying what it, it literally sounds like, that, that it's going to be really hard for you to get to heaven if you're rich? Well, I don't think he's saying that all poor people go to heaven, and no rich people do. If that was true, then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Zacchaeus, and Joseph of Arimathea would have been left out. So it's not that. So what is it? Well, he goes on, verse 24. Ag- again, I tell you, so he's on the same idea. Again, I tell you, so another biggie is coming. It is easier, and he's giving this picture now. They might have chuckled at the picture. This hairy, snorting, smelly, drooling camel doing needle point or something. That would be funny, right? he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle ooh that would be painful and impossible than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God wow he takes the largest land animal and the smallest opening known back then a little eye of a needle the Egyptians said it different they said it this way an elephant versus the eye of the needle but the biggest animal in Palestine was, was a camel so he's like it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle which you know can't happen it's absolute what Jesus is saying is it's absolutely impossible not happening now there is a popular theory about this verse that weakens the argument actually That says the needle is not referring to a sewing needle, but to a small gate in Jerusalem that an unloaded camel could only get through by crawling through on its knees. There's no support for that idea. He's talking about a needle that has a little eye that you put the thread through. It's really tiny. It's like if we said a a a whale going through the a pore on your skin that would rip. It's absolutely impossible, Jesus is saying. Hmm. Wow. We're in trouble. verse 25. Normal response. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. That means they were doubly shocked by Jesus. They were they were just blown away they, it was like they, he hit them with a stun gun or something he tased them and, and they don't, they're like well then who can be saved and what they're implying is no one can be saved if that is the case no one is going to heaven immediately they were very aware of what he was saying and their conclusion is no one can be saved it's humanly impossible and they were right a yeah, heart transplant is needed you can't do the outward observance without an inward transformation it won't, it won't get you anywhere but the next thing we see is good news for us because Jesus looked at them verse 26 and he said with man this is impossible yeah you are right guys you're right it's it's impossible But, with God, all things are possible. What he's saying is, God will save in spite of man's sin. God will save in spite of man's inability. Jesus concludes, yes, you're right, but with God, all things are possible. And the word for possible is a very interesting word, dunitas, It's the same root word that comes in in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 where it says the gospel is the power of God for salvation, dunamis where we get our word dynamite. So Jesus is saying with God all things are possible because God is all powerful. You know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14? verse 33 Jesus said no one can be my disciple who does not give up everything he possesses follow me if you're not willing to give up everything you possess you can't follow him and he wasn't saying just material things for some the obstacle to salvation might be something that is not able to be held With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We're learning some things about salvation here. We're learning that God will save in spite of man's sin. Hmm. But in this situation, what we learn also is that salvation happens when God wills it and man wants it. The man didn't want it. He said he wanted it, but he didn't want it on on God's terms. He wanted salvation on his terms. He wanted to make up the rules, and he couldn't, so he went away. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the only cure, that is the only prescription for sin. Jesus is the only answer. Notice in this passage the synonyms for salvation. All the words that are pointing to the same idea. Verse 16. What must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, if you want to enter into life, verse 17. Same thing. He even says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, that's getting eternal life. If if you want to enter the kingdom of God, verse 24, that's eternal life. The disciples saying, who can be saved in verse 25? That's eternal life. These are one and the same idea even when Jesus says if you wish to be perfect that's the result of having eternal life being, being matured by God with God all things are possible God is the saver of souls we don't save ourselves this young man couldn't save himself salvation happens when God wills it look at Ephesians 1 Ephesians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. It is what God wanted. And and Paul here is writing to Ephesian believers. He's telling them the truth about what happened to them. We don't know how to explain all about what happens, but we know the truth of what the Bible says. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is the one who wills salvation, but man's got to want it. If you don't want it, you're not getting it. God saves in spite of man's sin, but he's not going to save against his will. Go back to the Philippian jailer. His life is hanging in the balance. Earthquake. Going to die because he let his prisoners go type of a thing. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They give him a really clear answer. You know, dire measure requires dire, dire answers. And he says, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he does. They even say, hey, you and your household need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Not just you right now, not because you're in danger, but all of you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The man... The rich young man foolishly said no to Jesus. He thought his self-righteousness could get him there. He thought he could do it alone. Notice with the rich young ruler, there was no confession of sin. Notice with the rich young ruler, there is no repentance. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. He is pierced in his heart. He, he confesses what he's done. He's going to give back what he has stolen, what he has cheated people out of. Rich young ruler, nothing of the sort. He didn't even ask for mercy. Notice that when Jesus shifts the focus from the man's felt needs to God, all he gets is a blank stare. Walking away. It's like a man sleeping through an earthquake. I've done that before. I've slept through an earthquake. And he didn't realize the magnitude of Jesus' words. Or of his own sin. See, salvation is for the unself righteous who are intensely aware of their guilt before a holy God. I've seen so many people who seemed pretty sincere, pretty interested in Jesus, but remained unaware of their helpless condition. I've even seen people seem really interested in Jesus and pray a prayer and start coming to church and nothing in their life shows any pulse for Jesus. I once had a good friend who got accidentally electrocuted. Right before my very eyes and before about 150 people. It it was the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life. Frightening. It was shocking. Thankfully, he, it didn't kill him. It, it stunned him. And every one of us there learned a lesson. You don't, you ground a microphone before you touch it out on a field. Like a stun gun, like a taser, self righteousness will stun you might not kill you right away. But it'll mess you up. And if left unchecked, will reveal an unsaved heart. The question is not, by the way, are you entangled like this rich young ruler was in his stuff? I don't think that's the question. I don't think the question is, are you, are you entangled with non-God false gods? I think the question is, how entangled are you? How entangled are you? And do you want Jesus to free you? I think that's the question. Are you willing to ask him for grace to eliminate the entangling things? Everything looks good on the outside, but there's stuff going on on the inside This is not good. This guy wanted Jesus plus. Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. He did not want Jesus plus. He wanted everything plus Jesus. He wanted Jesus as a hood ornament, basically. Maybe a trunk ornament. Whatever the case, it wasn't Jesus plus nothing. See, we all know we don't need any more self-righteousness. We need a Jesus jolt is what we need. We need Jesus to to shock our hearts into rhythm is what we need. We need we need Jesus. We see in the rich young ruler what, what happens when there's no faith or repentance. We get a glimpse uh, uh, into the heart of, of the classic I want Jesus plus all the toys person. And, and we need to pray for rich young ruler types. Not despise them, not be intimidated by their confidence, but call them to faith and repentance. Show them true righteousness. Righteousness. The rich young ruler seemed to be that kind of person that would come somewhat deceptively with a smile, thinking they'll get from Jesus what they want, but then they realize he's not taking the bait and their attitude changes. Always teaching, never learning. That's the kind of person the rich young ruler seems to be. Maybe, we don't know, by the way, what happened to him. He just went away. All we know is he leaves stunned. He leaves blinded by his own self-righteousness. So we must remember him. We must remember the rich young ruler. We must ask God to search our hearts. We must must ask God to to show us, is there anything that I possess or want that is hindering me from full surrender to you? We need to ask that question. You non-God God... Will rob you, ruin you, your cherished things will isolate you from Christ. Remember the rich young ruler. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you you say that now is the day of salvation. today is the day we when we hear truth about you it's, it's our time to respond Lord I pray that you would free us all from stunning self-righteousness Lord that I, we, I pray that you would open the blind minds of the unbelieving that they would escape the snare of the devil because they've been held captive by him to do his will And I pray, Lord, for for believers whose feet are caught and they, they are somehow being pulled like a magnet towards things that are not Christ. Lord, remind us that you will not be a hood ornament. Help us remember the rich young ruler. We pray in Jesus' name.